you can kind of boil it down to that question of like, do I want to have children or should I have children? Because they are entirely different questions. And, and that to me kind of illustrates the difference in what is the person really trying to decide for themselves. Hi, I'm Anna Olson, and you're listening to We're Not Kidding, a podcast devoted to sharing stories surrounding the child-free life. As a life coach, I'm passionate about helping women feel confident and empowered in their choice not to have children. And I believe that by sharing our stories, we help break the stigma. So let's dive in. All right. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I am super excited for today's guest. Today, we are speaking with Margaret O'Connor, who has worked as a counselor and psychotherapist since 2011. She specializes in helping those who are unsure about parenthood make the right decision for them. Margaret has conducted two pieces of research regarding this topic. The first explored the role of personality factors and how they impact the decision to have kids. She also researched how women in Ireland make the decision whether or not to have children. Welcome, Margaret. Thank you so much for being here. I've been so excited to have this conversation. Always get like a panic uh, imposter syndrome. I'm like, oh, did I do that? Yes. Okay, I did. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. It's to be here and uh, and talk to like-minded people on this topic. It's uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's an honor to have you. I definitely want to talk about your work, your research. Um, but maybe to start, could you tell us a bit about how you came to the decision to not have kids and what that was like for you? Yeah, it's it's kind of a short story and, and a slightly longer story. Um, so I suppose I'm just one of those early articulators who I have just never seemed like something I wanted to do. It never, you know, I, I can think back to when I was like 14, 15, and you know, you're talking with your friends about what you're going to do when you grow up, and it was just never in that frame of what I was thinking about so I suppose that yeah just never occurred to me that there was something I I would want to do so I suppose it's quite a background thing at that point uh uh, so kind of that that's the way it was for a while and then I suppose it became maybe more of an active choice I would say in my late 20s because you know it becomes maybe a, a factor in relationships or whatever so I had to make a decision of oh is this actually something I'm definitely doing because some other choices kind of depended on that. So yeah, it kind of feels like a two-stage process for me. The first part not really involving much thought, and then the second part involving a lot of thought and <laughs> reflection and research. I'm thinking that's kind of I was gonna say 10 years ago, it's probably more than that. Uh 10 to 15 years ago. And um we'll leave it vague. And um <laughs> There was information available, but not near as much as there is now, which, you know, and on the one hand is really positive for now. I can't even remember or podcast a thing. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> there certainly weren't that that many. Um, so there were some books, there were some websites, but, you know, I was really aware that it felt like quite an isolating experience. Certainly anything that I was looking at was somewhere else. You know, there, there wasn't Irish material. So you were looking at America or looking at other places. So, yeah, I think that's what kind of led me into the work of, of just, you know, I was training to be a counselor and therapist anyway. And then I was thinking, well, you know, I'd hate to feel or I hate to think that other people would feel isolated kind of working through that process themselves. So that's kind of what brought me into the into the work specifically. But um yeah, and I always think it's interesting. I think it is kind of an ongoing process, even though I've never I was gonna say I've never really doubted my decision, but 
I suppose I think it's something I still come back to and reflect on and have to think about how that impacts my life. I think as you go through, you know, different experiences and stages of life. So yeah, an ongoing process, I guess. <laughs> if that answers your question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that background. Yeah. My next question, which you kind of gave a perfect segue to was when did you know you wanted to help others navigating this choice and how did that become part of your career and profession? Yeah, I think it was really through my own experience. Um this was as part of my training. Yeah, I was kind of doing my training between say 2009, 2013. And you do a lot of your own personal therapy and personal work as part of that anyway. But um so I would have have brought the issue to to therapy and some of it was useful and some of it didn't feel quite so useful and and it kind of felt like and that's no disrespect to any of the therapists but it's just you know maybe not having kind of the full awareness of the context of the topic you know so it kind of felt like oh okay there's more to this and I suppose again it was just that thought of I think it's really important and if I could offer you know a service as was I said just to make sure that people didn't feel isolated or or like they were the only ones because I think that's certainly how I felt uh, at the time, I thought that that just seemed it seemed to kind of just naturally fall into what I was doing. So I suppose it's something I kind of offered as part of what I was doing anyway. But then say 2018, 2019, I think is when I, I kind of specifically launched the the kind of arcades for me piece, even maybe for people to know that there is a service, even if they don't use it. I think it's just to know that this can be an issue for some people, you know. So I think just that normalizing piece just felt very important to me. Yeah. Have you seen over the span of your career working with this topic, have you seen an increase in the need for your services? Yeah. And I suppose, look, I'm one person with a with a part time practice. So, you know, uh, but definitely it, it has. And yeah, I mean, it's quite a steady part of my work. And it's interesting because it might seem like a bit of a novelty or a niche to some people. So say every every now and then I'll get asked to do like a newspaper article or go on a radio interview or whatever. And any time that happens, you know, straight away, I'll get two, three, four five inquiries, you know. So it's like yeah. it is that thing of people might hear it and go, oh, OK, I didn't know that was a thing. And, you know, it's it's not like suddenly they think I need that but it's just like oh okay that's a thing I can go to so yeah I think it's I think that has helped and then you know you have like international child free day or you have you know anything I think that can help raise awareness so if it's magazine articles or interviews or podcasts or whatever there is a market you know people are interested I think we've seen that proof of, of why all these things exist now so you know it's not it's not creating the need I think it's just meeting the need that's been there all along is, is my interpretation of it yeah hearing that you know you see that increase after an interview or something like that mm-hmm. it just makes me think that, that the need for the language for people to articulate a need that they didn't have the words for before necessarily exactly yeah I, I do the thing that you definitely shouldn't do that if there's ever something on social media like I know there was an article that uh, was last year uh, in an Irish newspaper and I read the comments underneath it and <laughs> there was quite a few people that were like oh can't believe she's made a job out of that and I was like okay but like I have because you know forcing anybody to come to me like I just thought it was such a funny comment I was like oh okay um but like 
yeah, so you offer a service and if people need it, hopefully they find you and, and they come. But yeah, I do think that's a really important point. And I think that it comes with the awareness, doesn't it? Like, you know, and again, this is another thing. Like, I don't think anybody, we're not trying to recruit people to be child free. You know, this isn't a, it's not that kind of movement. It's raising awareness that you can make whatever choice suits you. And I think that's really, it's, it's quite a subtle, but really, really important difference. It's raising awareness of the choice so that whatever choice people make, hopefully it is the best choice for them, whether that is to have children or not. So I think that that's certainly how I approach it. So having the language and having these conversations, which can raise awareness, is the most important point to me. Right. I think with whatever ideas or beliefs you're raised with, it can almost, you know, cover up the fact that there is a choice and you feel, I felt that that was you know, that was the next step. And so, yeah, I think like you're saying, it is really important just to have these conversations to make it explicit that it is a choice as obvious as it may (laughs) seem, but sometimes it doesn't feel obvious. Yeah. I remember when I was doing um, that second piece of research, um, you know, I talked to certain people and like, oh, what's your research about? And like, oh, it's about how, how women make the decision to have children or not. And like some people just could not understand they definitely noticed tended to be older women. They were like, what, what do you mean? Like, what? what? <laughs> it was really, and I thought, like, wow, that's just, it was just very interesting. They were like, what do you mean the process of deciding? They were like, genuinely didn't understand what I was trying to find out. So, you know, there, there is a shift, which is really good. But yeah, it's not obvious or it's not maybe tangible for everybody. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a great way to say it. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, so I want to talk about the research. I read your papers and (laughs) I really enjoyed them. So in your, I think it's your second paper, The Motherhood as Rite of Passage, if I've got that title correct. Something that really stood out to me was how you described this additional layer of uncertainty that arises um, as many of us question whether we quote unquote should want kids on top of whether or not we actually want them. And before reading that, I had, again, like the power of language, the power of someone articulating an idea. And so like, I hadn't seen it in this way that you so well described as like these layered pressures. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had probably lumped it all into one in my mind, like just the pressure of deciding whether or not you want kids. So I found that particularly powerful and how you separate them and see that compounding impact of them working together. Um, Can you speak to these layered pressures and how they impact us? Absolutely. Yeah. And I see this present with clients all the time. So I suppose on a very practical level, there's lots of things um, that impact the decision of whether you can have children or not. Obviously, there's the physical, biological side. Practically then, you know, your security of accommodation, security of your work, income, relationship. You know, I know obviously people have babies in lots of different circumstances, but kind of the ideal set of circumstances that people would like is that you're in a happy, stable relationship, that you have a predictable source of income, that you have a comfortable, um, secure place to live, that you have some kind of support network around you, whether that's friends or family. I suppose what I turn kind of the more practical things. So there are things, if you really want to have a baby, you can try to influence them. So 
you might move nearer to a support network or you'll try and get a uh, a more secure job or try to buy a house or whatever those things you know they're somewhat within your your influence and I'm air quoting <laughs> somewhat yeah. heavily there is then the more personal uh I suppose kind of mental emotional sides of like do you see yourself as being a parent so this is personal development side like do you feel adulty enough uh, or grown up enough to to do that to become um a parent my research was with women so that maternal or paternal desire of is the desire there do you want to some degree to any degree um are you drawn to the idea of being a parent i suppose what i found in, in that level is that if the desire was very strong then the motivation to put those practical things in place was quite strong and, and it kind of followed on if the desire wasn't that strong or if it wasn't there at all to do those things and then you have this other layer so like say if somebody's like well look I'm in a great relationship I've got a good job I've got a good house I've got some good support but I don't really know if I want to have kids I mean I guess technically that should be a relatively straightforward discussion you're like well I could but I don't really want to so I probably won't <laughs> like that that would that would be the therapy session you're like oh, okay fine but you know there's the but of oh okay why is that really hard why does that feel like the wrong thing to do is somebody maybe looking to try and understand that or looking to see almost find a way to convince themselves that well I I can or you know I tick all the boxes for someone who normally would have a child so I must be missing something you know so that's the society piece that extra kind of almost invisible but really really powerful piece of mm, no this is this is wrong I'm missing something or why it might necessarily just seem as straightforward as oh well that's not really something I'm going to want to do so then I'm not going to do it so and I see that presenting clients all the time and it's it's a real pressure and it's a real quite hard to put into words and I think it'd be very useful to put into words because it's really confusing to think that something could or should be relatively straightforward and it's not and you're searching for this thing of like why why does it not make sense why do I not feel it's okay uh why is it very hard to accept that maybe I just don't want to or don't want to enough you know that never feels like it's the right answer or rarely feels like it's the right answer so yeah that's how I understand that yeah yeah I thought that was just so well said and just really really a brilliant point you made yeah well look it it came out of the research I thought it it helped clarify a lot for me as I said kind of what I was seeing and it it helped me I suppose as a therapist kind of know what to ask because as I said Mm -hmm. like if somebody can kind of lay it out fairly logically you're like "Mm, okay you know what, what is the problem you know what is the issue what are you getting stuck on whereas I suppose that informed much more for me kind of as I said this almost invisible piece and it is that you can kind of boil it down to that question of like do I want to have children or should I have children because they are entirely different questions and and that to me kind of illustrates the difference in what is the person really trying to decide for themselves Oh, that's so true. Just that <laughs> one word difference. Yeah. It changes the question entirely. Are there other questions like that that have sort of come from your work, your experience that you find really helpful for like a majority of the people who come to see you wrestling with this decision? 
that's definitely the main one the question about regret mm. um, I think that's the other thing so if people think that maybe they don't want to have children most of the time and I'm generalizing very strongly here but they're happy with that decision now so they don't really want anything to change in their lives now they don't think they're missing anything in their lives now they're quite happy with how things are now but the fear is that they will regret that decision in the future mm-hmm. so that tends to be the other question of, of kind of you know how how do I know how will I know that this is the right decision kind of for the rest of my life which is a really really hard question to answer in any circumstance uh, but again it's the pressure and I, I do think they're connected because there's this societal piece that like pretty much everything is telling you it's going to be the wrong decision you know you're going to die alone it's so like blanket in 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 those wider perspectives yeah. that yeah so I think they go together there's a piece of oh I don't know if it's what I want now but there's something kind of telling me I'll maybe it's the right thing for the future and it's really hard to make decisions for a hypothetical future um you know again in any context I don't know that we think that way about other decisions whereas I, th- I think there feels like there's a lot of pressure on this decision um, and it has to be the right decision and it has to be the right decision for the rest of your life like that's that's really hard <laughs> yeah but- yeah it's like you know a job you can change this mm-hmm. decision I mean yeah. if you're not having kids you can change it but you can't change it back yeah absolutely yeah and yet that societal pressure will almost kind of tempt people into taking that risk which is how I would describe it you know of of having children even if you're not sure because the fear of it being the wrong decision later on is so big so yeah that societal pressure doesn't go away you know it, I think it impacts across the whole whole lifespan really <laughs> yeah do you have any like tips or advice for dealing with that societal pressure <laughs> It's really trying, and I know this sounds really trite, but it is really trying to figure out what you want, like what is important. So I would always be going back to what are your values? You know, all all our decisions, everything in our life kind of is led by our values, whether we're aware of them or not. And whether we're happy with a decision or not really comes back to whether it lines up with our values or not. So, okay, it could be freedom, it could be autonomy, it could be adventure. You know, if they're your top three values <laughs> not saying you can't have children if they're your values but you're trying to think how how do you want to live by your values how can a particular lifestyle match up and align to your values because if it does generally you're going to be pretty happy and, and fulfilled with that and if it doesn't it's going to be very challenging so not saying it's impossible but it's not ideal so it's trying to strip it back really having a look at, at your values at where you get kind of meaning and fulfillment from so I think whatever decision you make, it's trying to understand why you're making it. Mm. If that matches up with society brand, and if it doesn't, at least if you understand it, it makes it easier if it's if it's different. So like that sounds really easy. It's not. It's, it's a hard process. But again, I think with most decisions, that's where you can find some peace that if you understand what you're doing and it lines up and matches with your values, you're giving yourself the best chance of being happy and being content with what you've done. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love that. With my coaching work, that is where I like to start with clients is if you haven't done this and and a lot of people haven't done it. I mean, I think they'll have a general sense of their values, but haven't really like taken time to sit down and, and really kind of get it down to like a top two or three. And I find it really powerful and really helpful in framing the rest of our like work together and weighing this decision and, and other areas of their life as well. It is so beneficial and it's so beneficial to come back, you know, and check once a year or every few years, you know, because it's so easy to get distracted from our, our core values, I think. Mm, yeah. Um, and that tends to be where, you know, stress and unhappiness and, and unease comes from, not solely, but it definitely is connected. So yeah, I think it's a really, really important piece. Yeah. yeah and I'm so glad you said that. That's such a good point that it is you know, even once you identify them, the work doesn't stop there. It is revisiting them and seeing, is my life lining up with these? Have they changed? And yeah, what does that mean? And and am I living into them? Yeah. And seeing, you know, do you have like-minded people uh, that you can uh, express and, and, and live by your values with as well in some areas of your life? I think that's a really important piece. So yeah, it's really quite a core piece of work. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to your research, there's this concept you bring up. I think it's also in the motherhood as rite of passage, but you explore this concept of liminality regarding motherhood. Can you talk about what that is and what are the effects of it specific to those who are not parents? Yeah. And I was, uh, trying to remember the name of the author now I, I got this in a paper that I read when I was doing my research you know you you find a paper and you're like oh my god this articulates everything I was trying to say um so that was the one yeah so liminality is like a, a general concept it can be applied to lots of different things but basically it is around that idea of of a rite of passage so say you go from not being able to drive to being a learner driver to being a fully qualified driver and there's different terminologies in different countries but like being the learner is the liminal part. So you're in the process of changing status from a non-driver to a fully qualified driver. Um, you don't have kind of the full benefits of being a full driver yet, but you're you're on the way. Um, or from being single to being engaged to being married. You know, it's this process of, okay, I'm kind of in between states on the way to becoming another um, state. And, and that final state is quite defined. You know, we know what it means to be a full driver. There's certain like, rights and responsibilities or being married or being you know whatever graduating college or whatever the the thing is and I suppose in terms of motherhood it has become I suppose the path is you know not a mother pregnant mother <laughs> you know that's, yeah. that's the, the the rite of passage for women so to become a proper you know full woman and I'm air quoting furiously uh it, you know it's about going from going from that state so that motherhood being that ultimate rite of passage um as part of being a woman so then I'm like hmm okay so if I don't do that (laughs) where where am I hanging out so the research very articulately explains that then you get stuck in this liminal phase so yes I'm an adult woman but I'm not a mother so Mm yeah basically you know how 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 is that status recognized And I think there's kind of this waiting time, you know, it's like, 
you're a mother to be or you could be a mother you know until you reach menopause so it's like well or you know in the eyes of society you're not a mother yet uh until you definitely can't be so it's like oh that's gonna go on for a while um again what what am I doing while I'm here so and and I suppose this lack lack of recognition you know that and, and I'm talking you know on a on a wider societal level I know it sounds quite abstract but I think it it plays out really again very practically in a day-to-day basis so that saying I don't know if people say it in America but they definitely say it here you know oh you'll you'll understand when you're a mother you'll know when you have your own you know all these kinds of statements that are like basically saying you don't know now (laughs) so shut up Mm -hmm. Um, and (laughs) and automatically assuming wait until you have your own and it's like well, if I'm if I'm not going to have my own, when, when am I allowed to share an opinion? You know, this is, this is the, the question. So, yeah, so I suppose a lot of women can. And I'm, I'm talking again about women in particular. I do think it applies to men as well, but it's probably more visible for women. Where, where do you fit in? Where are your achievements acknowledged? So if you're not having a baby and I suppose then there's a lot of milestones and achievements that go along with having a child because there's birthdays and right. elemental milestones and all that kind of stuff that gets an awful lot of recognition as it should. And that's fine. That's no problem. I'm not saying they shouldn't. But if you don't have that, where do you get your recognition and your status? I just think it's really important because something else that came up in, in, in the research that I did, and I think it's echoed somewhere else, it can feel like everything else is a consolation. It's like, oh, you're, you know, you're really good at your job or you're really... I don't know, you've climbed Kilimanjaro or whatever, you know, okay, you're you're great in all these other areas, but you don't have children. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> the air out of everything else is like, well, I didn't want to have children, so that's not as sad. If, if you're child-free, and be very aware of people who are childless, not by choice, but like if that is your choice, then that isn't relevant, you know, in... in I'll say it in in my um, version of what I'm doing. Like that's not a downside. That was a very you know, that was a very deliberate plan. So all these other things, I'm I'm very happy and enjoying. But even it puts pressure on. I think that narrative has, has even developed more because it's like, well, I don't have to climb Kilimanjaro to make up for the fact that I don't have children. If I want to sit at home and watch Netflix, that's totally fine too because it's still a choice I've made. So I think it's really nuanced. It can be where a lot of that frustration, so I'm going to name it for myself, is, is what it feels like because other people are looking at it like a lack or like the other things are a consolation because other things are not as strongly recognized as an achievement as, as compared to motherhood. Right. I'll take a breath now. Okay. <laughs> that was fabulous. <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, I feel like in my own experience, <laughs> you express so many things there that I have felt it's like others won't view my accomplishments that I have a lot of pride in as important because I didn't have kids or I chose not to have kids and that dismissive and that being unseen is so frustrating and difficult on a personal level and I think just to go back to that point, it's one thing if that is your choice, but if it's not your choice, think how 
hurtful it is like you know if 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 you really wanted to have children and it wasn't didn't happen for whatever reason to then be treated that way is just you know unbelievably hurtful so you know it doesn't work for anybody yeah which I just think is really important to be aware of and I don't think you know I don't think people do it on purpose but it, again it just comes back to I guess what is valued in society and that tends to be things around parenting and, and childhood um, or child development so yeah I think it's really important to be aware of that so I suppose to be able to see it in that wider context because I, I know I, I can get quite frustrated about it and I have to remind myself that it's not just me and it's not you know the other person's you know specific fault but it's it's a it's a wider context and then and I know it's like extra work, but like I need to recognize my achievements or I need to find a, a community of people where those achievements will be recognized and I'll be able to get that validation because that it is really important. We all need that. It's not about being like narcissistic or whatever. We all just need recognition and validation for, for what's important to us. Yes. So if you're not able to get it in one place, it's important to find somewhere that you'll be able to get it. Yeah, yeah that is such a good point. You also describe a catch-22 that happens. You describe it specifically for women in the workplace where, quote, women feel lesser due to the fact that they do not have children. And yet mothers also feel silently discriminated against because they have children. So motherhood is valued symbolically and seen as a negative if you lack it, but it is not valued or supported practically, unquote. Yes. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Yeah. So in my research, which was small scale, but still, I, I interviewed women who hadn't had children yet about kind of what they generally intended doing. And I think what surprised me probably the most was that whether they intended to have children or not, nobody felt supported in that decision. And I thought it was really interesting. So if the expectations so of the wider societal expectation is that really, unless you can't, that you will have children. Because on a very broad stroke, it is like, well, you should and you will and you'll want to and get on with it. Approach. Um, you know, if if the expectation is just, well, you will anyway, it doesn't really value or or recognize maybe the the enormity of that decision. It's just like, well, yeah, of course you're going to have children. Like, so get on with it. And particularly in the workplace again there was a sense of oh well you probably will have kids at some point anyway so there's this kind of you know mother in waiting attitude so around maybe particular projects or promotion opportunities you know women felt like particularly as they approached their 30s that this felt like it became a factor not verbalized because it's not legal but it was definitely a sense of hmm, yeah that it was a factor in decision making but then and this was anecdotally. So those people talking about other, you know, friends, family members, colleagues, they had seen that if if they did have children, then there was this expectation that, oh, well, your children are your priority. So you won't be available or you won't want to be involved in the projects or vote for promotion. And that may or may not be the case, you know, mm-hmm. but that doesn't really matter. But there's this expectation. So even though you've done the thing that everybody expected you to do and is symbolically very valued, it can feel like it's being used against you. But equally, if you don't have children, it's like they're waiting for you to have children or there's still this sense that, oh, okay, there's something wrong with you if you didn't have children. So yeah, that's a catch-22 situation. 
And it kind of keeps coming back to that question, like what is the right thing to do? What is the right decision here? Because it can feel like no matter what you do, that it's not actually the right or the best decision, which is really hard. Yeah. I'm currently listening to an audiobook called Screaming on the Inside, The Unsustainability of American Motherhood. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting to hear the extent to which mothers are kind of penalized in the workplace for having kids. And at the same time, from a child-free perspective, also we're not viewed well, and a lot of the additional work will fall to child-free individuals in the workplace. And it's just, it is a catch-22. And it it feels like in some ways you're punished for either decision or you're up against unfair kind of sexist things. Mm. Either way. Yeah. I think that's probably what I took away from from that research is that really like the pronatalist attitude doesn't work for anybody. Parents are not winning in this situation at all. (laughs) And, you know, and I think that's really important because it's way too easy or it can be way too easy to kind of pit people against each other. So you'll see it, you know, on social media, it's like, oh, parents versus non-parents and child-free versus childless and it's completely missing the point. Like pronatalism does not work for anybody. You know, parents feel under pressure. And again, that expectation reality of like parenting is really hard. And the parents should be supported in whatever way possible to make that easier. But that doesn't happen. Okay. I'm not exactly sure what the childcare situation is like in, in America, but it's not great here. Um okay. you know, it's 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 not not a good system um and the responsibility falls to you as the individual you know everybody's with you when you're trying to get pregnant and being pregnant and that's fantastic and then you're pretty much on your own outside of your personal networks or your you know financial savings and that that's really unfair like that's not a good way of doing it so yeah I think it's really important to acknowledge that and even how difficult it is then I'd say for parents, but for mothers in particular, to discuss how hard parenting is. Yeah. That's not allowed either, or certainly not widely encouraged. So yeah, none, none, none of the system is, is good. <laughs> um, and I think that's the way more important piece rather than getting into, you know, I don't know what's to win, you know, by by pitting groups against each other. That's not the point to me, really. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's such a good point. Pronatalism doesn't work for anyone. Yeah, I'm grateful that some of my friends who are parents, I think because I'm child free, they feel more safe to express some of the difficulties. And I just wish that it wasn't so taboo for them to, to be open about that stuff. Because I think, you know, just as important as it was for me as a child free individual to find other people who related to my experience, like how validating and helpful it would be for parents. And and there probably are places they can come together and express that and, and be in community, but it is definitely kind of more under the radar. It's not the public conversation. And again, like that's so unrealistic. I don't think we expect, you know, in any other context, we don't expect our jobs to be fantastic every single day of the week or we don't expect to never argue with our friends or partners or family like it's not that's not normal like not everything is 100% great all the time so it's it's an unrealistic pressure and again it just puts the fault in the wrong place it's not the fault of a parent if they're having a stressful time for whatever reason or yeah it's quite unfair (laughs) yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. So a topic that I see come up a lot in child-free spaces, and I would say specifically because I think I'm more in conversations with child-free women, um, though I'm not saying it's specific to child-free women, but is the challenge of navigating friendships as your close friends go on to parenthood. And and there's like a grief that comes with it, sort of that loss of the friendship that was before, because it's going to change as your friend's role in life kind of changes. And it also seems like there is a need for vulnerable conversations around, you know, in these friendships as as both, you know, as this friendship goes through a transition and each individual's needs maybe change or change in relation to one another. So is this something that you see come up with your clients and how do you help them navigate these changes? Yeah, I think it's a really, really important point. Um, It does come up and it's interesting because I think there's a lot of shame and stigma around it as well because clients, if a client is talking about it, they might feel like, oh, you know, I'm being selfish or I'm, I'm being immature because I'm sad that my friend is not as available as they were before you know there can be a lot of guilt around it but I think you're you're absolutely right there is a grief because the friendship is naturally changed and I think it's really important to give some time to acknowledge that it is going to be different it's going to be different for a length of time like <laughs> hopefully it will circle back around but it's it's going to be a while and the other word there is people's needs so you've had a particular dynamic before, and I suppose you know our relationships are about getting our needs met, and that's not, again, it's not being selfish or narcissistic. That's just how we work, and the balance of that has changed, and the needs will change. Okay, it could be a conversation with your friend, but it's probably more a reflection, maybe individually at, at that time that yeah, this is happening, and and you can be really really happy for your friend, and you can be really sad for yourself. <laughs> you know um if if that's relevant to you you know I think that's something we need to get better at we we tend to think that we can only you know I'm either happy or sad and like we can absolutely be both at the same time right (laughs) can absolutely love our partner and also absolutely want to kill them at the same time or our family or whoever and that's totally normal and fine and both need to be expressed you know healthily and safely um so we can be we can be as I said really really happy if that's what our, our friend wanted and planned for you know we can be really happy for them but also acknowledge that yeah there is some loss um for us and how to navigate that I know sometimes people are like oh being child-free is like a lot of effort because you, you have to do stuff you're like okay now I have to kind of navigate this um and, and figure out what that's going to look like but yeah I suppose it is about figuring out, okay, you may not be able to get as much of your needs met in this friendship for a period of time. So how can you kind of reassess that? What can work for you? You know, how can you still be there? How can you still be a good friend to your friend whose needs have changed um, and whose context maybe has changed? So that can take a bit of time to figure out. There can be some trial and error in that. Mm. Um, but it is, it is trying to you know I guess it's like if if you were in like a romantic relationship and, and it became a long distance relationship you know if somebody had to move 
you would have to reassess, well, how are we going to work this and how are we going to have enough contact, have enough time together that we're both happy? It's kind of like that. You have to think, how can I re- reassess this relationship with this new context in place? But it, it's a real challenge. And I really think it's important for people to acknowledge that last piece without feeling guilty about it not something we necessarily have to articulate to the other person but I think we definitely have to to make space for it for ourselves um, yeah I think you bring up such a good point about how it can be so I mean I see this in myself a lot it's like well if I'm happy why am I feeling sad you know like it, those two things can't coexist well they absolutely can and very much do and me being resistant to them doesn't make things any easier <laughs> And it is confusing, but it's it's trying to figure out, uh, yeah, I suppose, you know, what you're happy and sad about. And I suppose to try and make space for both of them, because they're both valid or, or whatever responses you're having are valid. Yeah, we, we um, put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be very rational when we're not like we're, we're messy, messy humans. And that's fine. <laughs> that's so true. Yeah, <laughs> that that's not like based on research. That's just my personal opinion. <laughs> As we're getting to the end here, is there any words of encouragement or anything you'd like to share with the with the listeners? Yeah, like I think for for anyone who's undecided or anyone who, because it almost feels like there are two parts. Sometimes people will know that, yeah, I, I don't want to have children. So they might have made the decision. And then it feels like another decision of like, OK, so what am I going to do? You know, what what will my life look like? Yeah. And that can feel quite overwhelming, but it can also be brilliant. You know, if that's what you want, I'm going to say you can pretty much do whatever you want. Like, okay, we all have our own limits and life, but, you know, you get to create your life um, how you want it to be or, or try anyway um, and pursue things. And, you know, it can be really, really exciting. It doesn't have to as I said you don't have to be out uh, climbing mountains every day but you it's about creating the the life that makes you happy that gives you some meaning and fulfillment um, and there's so many ways to do that and there's so many ways to connect with like-minded people now as I said if if the resources that were available now were available 10 or 15 years ago you know it would have saved me a lot of time but anyway here, here we are <laughs> You know, there are so many groups and podcasts and books and um, so many things so that, you know, you're not alone. Um, I think that's the most important thing to try and not get stuck in, because, again, society will tell you that you're alone and it's only you and you're weird. And we know that's not true because we know there's lots of really, really amazing uh, and really supportive child free people around the world. So it can be really, really exciting. And yeah, a little bit of work, but worth it, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Thank mm-hmm. you. So you're a counselor based in Ireland. I know, at least here in the States, it depends on where you're licensed, who you can work with. So I guess I'm curious, outside of counseling, if if someone, you know, in in a country other than Ireland is listening to this and kind of interested in in connecting with you or is there work that you do that goes outside of Ireland 
Yeah, I suppose that yeah, there can be. So I suppose all my work is online um at the moment. So yeah, no, we can we can negotiate that, certainly. And then I I have my own podcast. So even though I do mainly speak to to Irish people in that, so I don't think it really matters where you live in the world. I think the, the themes around the experience of being child-free are, are absolutely universal. So but yeah, if anyone's interested in working with me, you can have a look on the website or, or give me an email and we can, we can figure things out. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So I'll be sure to include your website and email in the show notes. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today, the work that you do, the research you've done. It's so important and so appreciated. No, oh, thank you. It was lovely to talk to you. Thanks, Millie. Likewise. Yeah, this was a blast. All right. <laughs> we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you haven't already, please consider sharing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. This is how we reach more people. And in doing so, that's how we break the stigma. I would really appreciate your support in that and helping this podcast reach more listeners. And if you're someone who is struggling with any aspect of your child-free life, head over to my website and book your free clarity call. We'll talk about how you can start living your best child-free life with intention and purpose today.